welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that will not hesitate to slap libs. Today we have Laura, Zoe, and Colin. And obviously we're going to talk about the Oscars. Yes, a lot of this rhetoric has been taking over the internet, and we will be talking about the history, the films up for nomination this year, and our take on the slap. But, you know, as per usual, I don't have much to say about the history of the Oscars, other than the history isn't great and obviously rooted in all the things that our mess of society is rooted in. Um, y'all may remember... Uh, a few years ago, there was the hashtag Oscar so white for basically like a predominant, the people who were winning were predominantly white, um, you know, very few queers and, and other marginalized winners. And also this is just like a spectacle of spectacle. So as a lover of drama and pop culture, I'm here for it, but that doesn't mean that it's not inherently messed up. Um, but thank God we have a doctor of history to help us out here. <laughs> Yeah, so I figured I would take on some of the history stuff because I've watched um, like literally zero of the Oscar movies this year. Um, well, I guess it's not literally zero because I have watched Encanto with my family. I did that over Christmas. So one, one movie. Um, I'm just not, I'm not like really a movie person, generally speaking. And it's probably because I am so busy engaging with highbrow culture like The Bachelor. Um, but I, <laughs> I can definitely talk about history. So the Oscars have been around for almost 100 years. The first Academy Awards were given out in 1929 at the peak of the Roaring Twenties, about six months before the market crash that started the Great Depression. Um, just a fun little fact, technically Oscar is the name of the little gold statuette that the winners get. So the Oscars is a slang for the awards that are given out at the award show. And there are a lot of things that we could talk about with Oscars history, but sort of what I wanted to focus on is the show's whiteness problem. Um, historically, over the last almost 100 years, only 6% of nominees have been non-white. And that's just the nominees, not the winners. Like, and, and, you know, maybe you're thinking like, okay, these have been going on since the 1920s. Like, it used to be racist, but it's getting better. Like, I will grant you that it's technically true that the Oscars are better now than they used to be, but the bar is on the floor. Um, and even over the last 30 years, since the 90s, the nominees have still been nearly 90% white. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of major events in Oscars history and specifically within the history of race and racism with respect to the Oscars. So for the first 10 years of the Academy Awards, every single winner was white. Um, that's probably not surprising. The first Black person or person of color in general to win was Hattie McDaniel in 1940. And at first glance, this might seem like surprisingly early, like maybe like a mark of progress, like, wow, 1940, segregated America, a Black person won an Oscar. Um, but I think that the context around her win is instructive. So McDaniel won for her role in Gone with the Wind, which is, of course, this very classic film that also happens to take um, like an extremely rosy view of slavery and the Confederacy. And McDaniel played an enslaved nursemaid who was literally called Mammy. That was her actual character name. <sighs> like you you like you can't parody it and and it was for the role of mammy that she won the best supporting actress award 
And this was a role that was really familiar to McDaniel. Um, As one modern journalist has written, she played the quote unquote sassy maid archetype in a number of other films as well. It's also worth noting that at the awards where she made history and won Best Supporting Actress, she wasn't allowed to sit with her co-stars at the Gone with the Wind table. And this is not just a thing that happened at the Oscars. She skipped the movie's premiere, which was hosted at a racially segregated theater in Atlanta because she wouldn't be able to sit with her castmates there either. And, you know, relatedly, none of the Black actors in the movie came to the premiere at all. McDaniel also reflected later in her life that the Oscars, or the Oscar rather that she won, didn't actually open any doors for her. Instead, it made her feel like kind of a pariah in Hollywood um, because people were upset that she won. And it turned out that many of the roles she took afterwards were still for maids and cooks. And it wasn't until 1963 that a Black person would win another Academy Award. And this time it was Sidney Poitier. He was the first Black man and the first person of color in general to win in the Best Actor category. It wasn't until 2001 that a Black woman would win Best Actress, which is just absolutely wild. Um, That award went to Halle Berry. And like I said, 2001, that was the same year that Denzel Washington won his Best Actor Award thereby becoming the second ever Black man to win. And I also just want to note that Barry is, to this day, the only Black woman to have ever won Best Actress. She's also Um, just amazing. Yes, also true. Separate from all of this, which is very important, I just, like, love her. (laughs) That's all. This is a Halle Berry Stan podcast. (laughs) Yes. Um, I also wanted to note that the racism that we should talk about when we talk about the actors or the Oscars rather doesn't stop at anti-blackness. So just to list a couple of other factoids, only one East Asian man has ever won an acting Oscar. That was Heng S. Noor. Parasite famously made history very recently as the first foreign language film to win Best Picture and its writers were the first Asian writers to win Best Screenplay. Uh, Rami Malek, who's Egyptian and a first-generation American, is the only Arab person to have ever won an acting Oscar, and that was for his Best best Actor Award in the 2018 film Bohemian Rhapsody. And speaking of Best Actress, we've never had a woman of South Asian or East Asian um, descent win Best Actress at all. So these are just, again, like a few factoids. We could go into a lot more detail about the various um, milestones or lack thereof when it comes to people of color in the Oscars. But I wanted to move on to some of the response to this. Um, There was a huge backlash to this history that culminated in the hashtag Oscars so white movement in 2016, which Laura Laura brought up. Um, And I, I don't, I do hesitate to call it a movement because like on one hand, obviously representation is super important and it also really sucks for, for people who are great actors or directors or cinematographers or, you know, what have you who are being denied certain forms of recognition because of the racism of the American Academy of Motion Picture Art and Sciences. On the other hand, there are so many bigger issues that racism produces than what is encountered by the like 0.0001% of our society at the Oscars. But anyway, in 2016, literally every acting nominee, and that is all 20 of them, 
as well as four out of the five nominees for the best director were white. And that was the year that the Oscars so white hashtag started trending. This was obviously a glaring problem. A lot of celebrities responded. Uh, Big names like Spike Lee and we will get to this soon. Jada Pinkett Smith boycotted. Um, And another funny turn of events, Chris Rock was tapped to host and he got a lot of pressure from the campaign to drop out. The Academy responded to all of the uproar by instituting some changes to its voting membership rules in the hopes of diversifying the pool of people who are actually determining the nominees and the winners. And I just want to conclude by saying that this is not a problem that solely rests with the Academy because racism abounds in the film industry in general, as in our society writ large. Um, A 2016 report from the University of Southern California's Annenberg School found that from 2007 to 2015, 92% of the top 800 films released were directed by white people, and 86% of them featured white actors in their top roles. It's it's just harder to get your film made if you're not a white person to say nothing of being a white person who's got like a parent or something already in the industry. So this is a Which really- Which is literally sp- everyone. Everyone yeah. in the industry is a nepotism. Look on Wikipedia. Everyone's a nepotism baby. Shout out to the good nepotism babies. Um, Dakota Johnson, um, Jane Fonda. Yes. Um, up until, you know, literally- Yesterday, I thought Zoe Kravitz. Oh my god! But I anyway. know, I know. Okay, yes. <laughs> she was. She was in the Imagine video. In she like, was. oh, true. We should have known. We should have known. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's really wild. But. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention something this made me think of because, brag, I have a BFA. Um, And so this is a little bit more about um, art in general, not just specific to film, but of course relates. Um, And so there's this essay that it's from the 70s. So it's for sure dated in ways it's like very binary. And I wouldn't say it um, has much of like a race focus, but it's called Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? And why I think it's still relevant in that way. It's that it's written by Linda Nochlin, who um, is seen as like kind of the inventor of feminist art history. And this essay is a big part of what started that. And so this essay, she looks to the question of like, why are there no great women artists and talks about why that's corrupted and um, dismantles the idea of this concept of greatness and what that looks like and like unravels that um because it's built on this assumption of like a white male centric quote genius in art and I mean I think we see this play out in the Oscars in the sense that even though as Colin's talking about there have been some small attempts to make it more inclusive it really is built on this canon of like good art as it relates to white men so I just think that's relevant it's a really interesting um essay and really looks at like how much the the canon of white male artists like informs what people think is good art. Mm, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so we're going to get into the slap, get it out of the way um, so we can talk about more interesting things. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to end that. I forgot. I was going to end that by being like, it's a real slap in the face. Exactly. So true. What a perfect segue. <laughs> Great Great segue, Zoe. Um, yes. And just to circle back, the the whole thing about Zoe Kravitz is Zoe Kravitz came out online saying, like, how disgusted, basically, she was about this thing. Um, so that's why we were roasting her earlier, in case you missed it. 
Well, she's a nepotism. She sure yeah, is. Oh, there's a bunch of other stuff that emerged later, though. Yes. Like when she, when people were like, you wrong for this one. And then we're like pulling out a bunch of stuff about like fucked up things she had said previously. So oh, anyway, we don't need to get into it. Shout out to more good nepotism babies. Yes. Alice um, Ross. Um, uh, okay, you get it. Hell yeah. Continue with the slap. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so... The main thing I feel about the slap is that it's fucking hilarious. Like, I can't tell you how many tweets I saw that were like, this is the ugliest night in Oscar history. And like, let's like not to mention all the things that Kellen already talked about. But let's remember how many fuckers have received Oscars when they're literally pedophiles or sexual abusers or actually violent. Also, libs and white folks in general are always like, hey, now, hold on. We only support violence on the systemic level. You can't be overt about it, especially if you're black. Yeah, and as Kellen mentioned, Hattie McDaniel, who, you know, was only let into an Oscar as a favor to her white agent, had to sit in a far corner, and she, she was there for an award she won. So let's get into it. Um, To recap, in case you were living under a rock for the past few days, Chris Rock made a fucked up joke about Jada Pinkett Smith's lack of hair, comparing her to the woman with a shaved head in the movie G.I. Jane. And Jada has alopecia, which is an autoimmune disorder that affects how your hair grows. And his joke was rooted in massage noir, texturism, and ableism. It degraded a black woman in a room full of her peers on live TV. Will Smith got up from his seat, walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock, Um, came back to his seat and was yelling, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. This is wife guy behavior at its finest. Oh, big time. Big time. So like I was watching this live and at first I thought my antenna went out because um, like I have basic antenna to watch cable for shit like this. And at first I thought it was like going out because all the sound cut out and the screen was weird as hell. Um, but of course the internet had versions that were aired in other countries so we could see what actually happened. And now, as with most things, the Libs saw this and were like, oh my fucking God, we must deliver our spicy hot takes to the internet. And I would just like to, um, tell you some of my favorite absolutely batshit takes. Oh, so some dude with a Ukraine flag and a U.S. flag in his username tweeted, quote, If you're curious why Germans allowed Hitler to happen, or Americans allowed George W. Bush to lead us into Iraq, or why Russians are allowing Putin to murder Ukrainians, look at how the Oscar crowd and his supporters handled Will Smith tonight. Hashtag group psychology. Honestly, like, I don't even know where to begin with how nuts this is, but the libs are really at it again. Yeah, I also think it's worth noting that people did um, a deep dive into this particular guy because he's like so clearly off his rocker. And he is like on various occasions claimed to have four kids, to have three kids, to have an unspecified number of kids, but the oldest will be in seventh grade at 12 years, which is literally the grade you start when you're 12 years old. And has also claimed to have grown up in Harlem in the West Village in California in Virginia and in rural Ohio. So this is the kind of brain genius that we are dealing with here. Oh, wow. Blessed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, white comedian Judd Apatow tweeted, he could have killed him. That's pure out of control rage and violence. Um, 
you know. And someone correctly pointed out that Judd Apatow said nothing when James Franco grabbed Busy Phillips, screamed in her face, and threw her to the ground, knocking the wind out of her while while shooting Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Um, first of all, Judd Apatow fucking sucks and produces nothing but like horribly misogynist right. content. So I don't really know who cares what he has to say but also just like factually speaking one slap isn't isn't about to kill anyone especially like between these two men there's not like a major size difference or like ability difference where this was like particularly fucking dangerous he if you've never seen someone get slapped before i don't know what to tell yeah you. like he, chris rock was speaking immediately afterwards he was fine. His jaw was fine. His body, he's fucking fine. But also it was like a very controlled slap. It was one little, and then he went right back to his seat. So I just don't understand at what point in that people think maybe he was about to die. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Like, like you said, Zoe, like Judd Apatow, a mediocre director. Um, and like, you know, I don't have like a strong opinion on the slap myself. Like obviously Chris Rock shouldn't have made the joke to begin with whatever it, it's just like so funny to me that there are people who are like he could have died when it's <laughs> like no for sure he could not have for sure um and it, at first I was like why are we making this something that it so clearly isn't but I do feel like a lot of white people especially are predisposed to see like quote-unquote violent actions from a black man as a yes. lot more dangerous or violent than they actually are and so I think a lot of what's going on here is reflective of that Oh, absolutely. No, that's such that a, good, a point. good point. Also, a lot of people are not from Philly and simply don't <laughs> understand our culture, which is that sometimes there's a little slap slap. This was like my high school. There were so many fights in my high school and it was just kind of that's just what you did. You disagree. Someone gets a little slap. I'm not saying I'm not condoning it. I, I agree with Kellen. I wouldn't say I have strong opinions. I think it's funny. I fucking hate Chris Rock. I'm not like slapping is good. I'm just also like, have you never seen someone get slapped before? Right. To the point that you think he was about to die? Like, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this whole moment has led Libs to call for the Oscar to be taken back from Will Smith. Um, this is an absolutely ridiculous thing to do. First of all, can we calm down about a dude worth $300 million? Open palm hitting a man worth $100 million? Secondly, I want to remind people of all the really fucked up things that have actually happened at the Oscars before. So Roman Polanski was given an Oscar in absentia, like he was not even in the building because he fled the country to avoid a pedophilia conviction. Yeah, he literally rapes a like young teenage girl. Exactly. Um, Harvey Weinstein, obviously serial sexual abuser, has 81 Oscar wins. In 1973, Native American actor Sachin Littlefeather was booed by Hollywood elites before being mocked by Clint Eastwood and almost physically assaulted by John Wayne simply for asking that indigenous people not be dehumanized in film. John Wayne was held back by six security guys because he was trying to get on stage to hit this woman. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about this for a second um, because I think it's a really important moment in the history of the Oscars just to take a little detour from the slap for a second. Um, I thought about bringing it up in the history section, but I figured it might come up later when we talked about the slap. So 
Sachin Littlefeather, who as Laura noted was an actress, but was also natively, notably rather a Native American rights activist, um, gave a speech at the Academy Awards in 1973. It is important to note that she was not invited to give a speech, but rather queer icon Marlon Brando won Best Actor for his role in The Godfather, and he had Littlefeather go up in his stead, give a speech, and then decline the award. And this is because Brando wanted to use his position as the favorite for Best Actor, he knew he was probably going to win, to bring attention to the way that Native American people were portrayed in media and to an ongoing protest by the Ogola Nakota, uh, Lakota people at Wounded Knee um, that was going on in 73. So as Laura mentioned, John Wayne, an incredible dickhead and famous Western actor in a lot of movies that dehumanized Native American people, had to be restrained backstage because he was trying to make his way on stage, presumably to physically assault Littlefeather, who, by the way, gave a very short speech that was really not incendiary at all, was just like she was in traditional garb and was like, Marlon Brando had me up here to um, decline this award. He wanted to bring attention to the way that Native Americans are portrayed stereotypically in media. Thank you for your time and for allowing me to be here. That's basically all that she said. John Wayne lost his shit. Um, presenters throughout the night mocked her, including Clint Eastwood during their like presentations. And the way that the Academy Awards responded to this protest was by creating rules that disallowed proxy appearances in the future so that it mm. wouldn't be able to happen again mm-hmm. and they'd be able to control who went on stage. Well, almost like libs don't mind violence as long as it's upholding capital and power. It's true. Although to be clear, John Wayne, not a lib. Just true. a core conservative. <laughs> yeah. More the, the academy in general. Yeah. And just want to point out what the things Laura is saying. Did Libs ever be like, take away Harvey Weinstein's yeah. Oscars? Hashtag me too. They did not. Right. I mean, I think some people did were like, we should get rid of his Oscars, just to be clear. But yeah, it's not. It hasn't happened. And it hasn't also had this like immediate thing that I feel like is happening but yeah I don't think it was like actually considered by the academy yeah which I'm pretty sure this is right yeah I saw an article they they censured him and they haven't like taken away his Oscar but they did give him an official censure Mm, for his behavior yeah I just saw an article I literally read the headline that said they were considering it so I don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) no 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 (laughs) incorrect So a few other white people who didn't get their Oscars revoked and who did way worse things than Will Smith, Michael Douglas, Douglas Hoffman, Richard Dreyfuss, Paul Haggis, James Franco, Kevin Spacey, Casey Affleck, Mel Gibson, Arthur Freed, Joan Crawford, and Clark Gable. I'm pretty sure there are more, but like if we are cool with giving a child rapist an Oscar, we fucking sure as shit better not be taking away a black man's Oscar after defending his wife being demeaned by a punchline. The child rapist thing is unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. I also want to briefly comment on how people are making this issue about Will and Jada's polyamorous relationship and also their queer children somehow. And I just want to say that, like, obviously you can be polyamorous and still want to slap someone for demeaning your partner. Um, Like, you know, one of my partners and I talked about how we would do this for each other. No problem. The one real take I would understand is that this night could have been about Will Smith's amazing performance in King Richard, but the slap has overshadowed any of the real awards that happened that night. Um, I just wanted to briefly mention a couple things about Will Smith's 
speech, his acceptance speech for winning Best Actor, um, you know, tears were streaming down his face. He talks a lot about why he, how he is being called by God to love and protect people and to be a river to his people. Um, so he and Jada Pinkett Smith are um, Scientologists, and also he's just radiating major Libra energy. He also ends up apologizing to the Academy and to his fellow nominees for them not winning, but not to Chris Rock, which I absolutely love. Um, it feels very powerful. And I didn't get into this too much earlier, but yeah, Chris Rock has said, said some shit about Jada for years, and there's beef going back to 2016, as Kellen was talking about, that was really intense between the Smiths and Chris Rock. So shit has been boiling for a while, and I think slapping a man in, a fa- in his face is a totally acceptable response to what happened. Um, but yeah, I just like really love the chaos of it, and the biggest takeaway is this is hilarious, and it's just complete theater. But moving on to some more interesting, actually interesting things. Although, you know, if you're morbid like me, the slap is also interesting. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to start with CODA. So CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults, One Best Picture. This beautiful melodrama is about a teenage girl named Ruby, who is the only hearing member of her family. Frank Ross, played by Troy Kotzer, a deaf fisherman, struggles to relate to his daughter Ruby, played by Amelia Jones, who is torn between pursuing her passion for singing and helping her family's fishing business. Since Ruby serves as their interpreter with the outside world, it's complicated about her going off to pursue singing. There's a really moving scene where Frank listens to Ruby sing by holding his hands to her vocal cords as a way to connect with his daughter over something she loves. It's the first film with a predominantly deaf with a predominantly deaf cast to win Best Picture. It's also the first time a movie that was released on a streaming service, in this case, Apple Plus, won Best Picture. Troy Kotzer made history um, because he was the first deaf man to win an Academy Award for acting. His victory comes 35 years after his CODA co-star, Marley Matlin, absolute icon, became the first deaf actor to ever win an Oscar for her leading role in Children of a Lesser God. First of all, we stand them both so hard. His performance in CODA was one of the most dynamic, funny, and incredible performances I've seen in a very, very long time. The director, Sean Hedder, said, Troy is an amazing improviser. We were dying laughing behind the monitor because every time he described having jock itch, it became more outrageous, more visual, and more graphic. And if you watch the film, you can really see the magnanimous way this incredible actor makes his character come to life. So Troy Kotzer signed his entire acceptance speech, and also when CODA won Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay, there was an interpreter on stage signing the spoken acceptance speeches. However, signing interpretation wasn't present or available for the rest of the ceremony, and that made me pretty mad because the assumption is that the deaf community would only want to feel included in the movie that was about their community. And I know that there are folks who know a lot more about the hardships of the deaf community who um, who could communicate this better, but it was really weird and kind of messed up that the film that won Best Film was centered around understanding and accepting deaf folks and trying to make space for them as hearing folks, and the Oscars obviously failed to do that in a pretty major way um, beyond the moments that were directly tied into CODA. Yeah, that just also reminds me of a lot of issues tied 
to the Oscars where it's clear that people don't actually internalize the messages of the films uh, that win. And one example that it really makes you think of is with Parasite, which was a movie about class dynamics um, that won many awards and yet lives just find a way to just live their little ways out of things, uh, which I think is like a, lo- a larger conversation that we're going to have today, at least about like the intention of, of films and art. But I think it's worth noting that um, particularly when films win, like we were talking about in the beginning, like these, you know, more rare occasions where they are representing marginalized communities. It's not like the messages seem to really be like, making any change or people are not internalizing what these films mean. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about some more Oscars history here, just specifically surrounding the like deaf and hard of hearing communities. So the Oscars first offered closed captioning in 1982, and it was actually the first program, live program in history to do so. And as a little background on this, like closed captioning was first um, debuted in 1971 where you know the, the technology was invented in 1971 but it took a really long time for it to get instituted as a regular feature on network tv so in 1973, ABC began delivering a delayed version of their newscast for deaf and hard of hearing viewers with captions that was available five after five hours after the original newscast aired and the first closed captioning, closed captioned pre-recorded TV shows began airing in 1980. And so while this technology was developing, TV still remained relatively inaccessible for people who are in the hard of hearing community. And as is the case today, a lot of hearing people just sort of generally ignored this accessibility problem. But I do want to give a shout out to good nepotism. Yes. Um, person and queen Jane Fonda who won back best actress in 1979 and when she came up to give her speech she signed the whole thing as she read it to make sure that it was accessible to deaf and hard of hearing viewers as well yes so love that she learns like ASL or at least ASL enough ASL in advance um it just in case she won to be able to include people who were not part of the hearing community when she went up and and accepted the award. And then three years later, as I mentioned, the Academy Awards became the first closed captioned live show ever, which was obviously a major moment for inclusion. But as the CODA situation shows, there's obviously still a lot of work to be done to make the Oscars equitable for the non-hearing as well as hearing audiences. Yeah. So I wanted to talk more about CODA specifically, Um, my grandmother was deaf and had cochlear implants, which if you've seen Switched Up Birth, another um, Marley Matlin classic, that's what the main character, um, Daphne, had cochlear implants, Um, just just for (laughs) context. But so that happened later, later in life. It was it was when I was really young, but later in life for her. And so she didn't really learn sign language like at first she tried and my whole family did um but then we just kind of ended up finding other ways to adapt for her because like that was what she wanted she it's hard to learn a new language especially late in life and that was like not for her but this often meant that if we were like out to eat in public i would have to um like carefully mouth questions from the server to her because she was really good at reading lips but otherwise like couldn't hear the servers or other questions. And especially um, 
it would be a lot easier to read lips because like she knew me really well. So she knew the way I talk. So it's a lot easier to read lips of like people that, you know, like when you recognize people's voices um, or like accents. So even without like signing as a hearing person, I found ways to like interpret um, for her with other people and how to interact with her. Um, my dad has also be my, my other grandmother also lost her hearing and my dad has also become hard of hearing. Um, these were all later in life. And, but like, because of my grandmother and she used to like watch me a lot. So I spent a lot of time with her, but, um, my family is pretty good at at navigating this accessibility, but, and I also just had a lot of exposure to it growing up. We had neighbors who were, a family um, who similar to in the movie, the parents were both deaf and they had two kids who were like my sister and my age who um, were hearing and they would often be like interpreting for their parents. Um, Like their daughter and I played softball together. So we just had a lot of interactions with them. And my sister was also friends with her her brother. Um, So, and we were also close to a family who was kind of the opposite. There was a deaf child and a hearing single mother who like, they taught us a lot about um, deaf culture. And we used to have a lot of dinners together and we put on these like silent plays for our parents. Couldn't tell you what they were about. Just have memories of us like creating silent plays. Um, And they, yeah. And they gave my family like sign names and stuff, which is like a coveted thing in the deaf community. You have to be like assigned a name signal. So anyway, um, just had like a lot of exposure growing up. And then in college, I took some um, ASL classes as well, because I really like wanted to know more. Um, So yeah, and I've been reading some like articles and blogs by deaf people or quoting deaf people on their opinions of the film and just wanted to share some more about that. Um, so something that's really interesting is Marley Matlin was the first actor signed on for this film. And initially she heard that her co-stars were going to be played by hearing people and she threatened to walk off set if they didn't cast deaf actors. Um, so she basically just formed a one person union. She was like, I know my worth. I'm truly the most famous deaf, deaf (laughs) actress that there is. And so a lot of the movie's accolades have been for having like three deaf um lead roles as laura said but that was really because of our girl marley Mm. we love her (laughs) we love her she's also in the magicians which is one of my favorite shows of all time as well anyway icon um so aside from the representation in general it was really important um to have the main like characters who were deaf um be deaf and be fluent in ASL because it is a really nuanced language. And like I've said, I've taken a couple of courses in it. I do not feel confident at all in signing, but I watched a torrented version that did not have subtitles for the signing. And I picked up more than I thought I would be able to. Um, but <laughs> like any language, there is, you know, the formal version that is taught. And then there's so many nuances of conversational use and especially um, between families or other like close communities, they'll often have their own signs, like I mentioned, to represent people's names, or if there's common words used by that group that there aren't like formal signs for, they'll come up with them so that they're not like fingerspelling everything. Um, and another really important aspect is like the facial expressions, because that's like the intonation of it. And so there's just a lot of things, and this is part of why it is so hard to learn if you become deaf later in life. It's just something very nuanced and like there are similarities to other languages in that sense, but we're not used to like a physical language. So it just can be really hard to learn if it's 
not something that you've like been doing for a long time. And then I want to talk about some of the complaints that I read. So um, some people were saying that they felt like it was only showing a monolithic representation of um, deaf people and failed to show the ways that many deaf people are able to thrive and be competent independently, um, thanks to both like technology and societal changes due to activism around this. And one example is that in the film, the daughter had to interpret for her family in formal settings, like at the doctor's office and in court. And these are both places where it is legally required to have an interpreter and like the doctor's appointment, she essentially had to interpret for her parents about their sex life. Yeah. Um, which that just wouldn't happen. <laughs> um, like I get, it's like a funny haha scene, but the, 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 no child would be expected to do that. It is legally required that a doctor's office have an interpreter if needed. Um, and in that sense, the film in some ways made her deaf family members seem, um, helpless without her. And there was, that's like a common trope in depictions of various disabilities that they need, like hearing people or able-bodied people or whatever the disability is to like be able to survive, which is not true. Um, And yeah, then I just wanted to share some quotes. So Howard A. Rosenblum, who's the Rosenblum, yeah, the CEO of the National Association for the Deaf said that quote, American society has changed in many ways, including stronger disability rights that have empowered many deaf adults to rely less on their hearing children as was prepared portrayed in CODA. Nevertheless, there's still many hearing children today who function as the family interpreter for their deaf parents. Although this should never happen in formal settings like a courtroom or a hospital, like I mentioned, where professional neutral interpreters are required. And he also added um, that the film felt somewhat cliche in the way that it is like a, a coming of age kind of film, but that having three deaf leads is still unprecedented exciting and that was a common theme of even people that were critiquing it were like but it's still exciting to see because we get no representation so like we'll take anything right it's like queer shit right yeah yeah i feel like a lot of the critique comes down to just like there should be more not that this representation is like bad but it's just it's still like a white family and a very like specific representation um so Jenna Beacom, who is deaf but has a hearing daughter in her 20s, wrote, quote, overall, I'm thrilled that the movie exists in the sense of contributing to more deaf representation and hopefully more opportunities for even better representation. And she also said that she was very disturbed by how negatively the movie portrays um, the deaf and CODA experiences. And then Ashley Odelia um, wrote... Um, about the the racial elements, how it is a white family and only white deaf people are shown. And she wrote, as a Black Coda, I have many thoughts and most are critical, but this is the first time I've seen Coda representation in film. I'm prepared for the sea of interesting emotions to come. So yeah, and then just, just a little bit more. I read a lot of blogs and articles, but another criticism <laughs> of the movie is that it really is aimed more towards a hearing audience than a deaf audience. One prime example is that it centers around a hearing character and her love of singing. 
Um, which not that deaf people don't enjoy music and vibrations, but like watching it on screen, is it going to do that? Um, and Fistrom said, said there is a central conundrum that any deaf show or movie needs to appeal to hearing people to find real success, but hearing people generally know so little about deafness that what appeals is often sensationalistic or outside of the deaf experience. Mm. And they also said, Quote, I grew up knowing next to nothing about deaf people growing up alone and being the only deaf person I knew. Not being able to see people like me really had me feeling isolated. That's why I made a YouTube channel 10 plus years ago. So mainstream deaf kids like me, mainstreamed deaf kids like me have someone they could see and relate to in some way. Oh yeah. The quote continues. It isn't fun feeling like you're some kind of other when nobody else around you is like you. And I think that really gets at the crux of these reactions to the film, which is that although it was not perfect representation, it still feels hopeful and refreshing for many deaf people to see any sort of representation um, in mainstream media since it's so rare and, you know, hope, hopefully that can be like broadened and there can be more um, nuanced representation too. Absolutely. I hope so. Um, Cause yeah, I, there's, there's very few that center that and me as a hearing person, I'm very drawn to that. Cause I think it's like learning about a different cultural experience too. So obviously hearing people have a lot to learn and I would be thrilled to be taught it by the deaf community. Anyway, Next up, we're going to talk about the Summer of Soul or the revolution that was not televised. Um, and this is Questlove's directorial debut. Um, he is the drummer from the band The Roots. This one, best documentary. So this documentary covers the Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place over the course of six weeks during the summer of 1969. Thousands of people came out in droves to celebrate Black history, culture, music, and fashion. In his acceptance speech, Questlove said, This is such a stunning moment for me right now, but it's not about me. It's about marginalized people in Harlem that needed to heal from pain. Just know that in 2022, this is not just a 1969 story about marginalized people in Harlem. And this film was absolutely gorgeous. The music is unbelievable. Um, it's streaming on Hulu, and I cannot recommend it enough. It really ties together race, class, gender, and the political moment of that historical moment, which, as Questlove said, is still relevant and happening today. Yeah, I just want to second that. It's really good. I watched it last summer with my parents, who um, are very little, little hippies. And um, my dad was involved in a lot of civil rights organizing around the time. And so he had a lot of that context. And like, he was so excited to watch it. He like, I, he was the one that had like heard of it. Um, and yeah, it was really fun to watch. It shows so many musical performances too. Um, so like Laura said, there is like a lot of, you know, political messaging and it's also just like amazing fashion and music. Yeah. Absolutely. Like a joy. And I, that's kind of like the brilliance of what Questlove did, too, is like take a time that obviously was really messed up for a number of reasons, but like make it like a moment of joy. Um, and that actually speaks to what we were talking about with the deaf community, too. Like black people were able to see themselves represented in this like very specific way where they were just pure on celebrating. 
But one of my favorite moments, um, other than all the musical acts, because I'm, you know, a musician and I love that shit, um, was when they were noting how the man landing on the moon happened during the festival. So while the festival was going on. And news crews were going around and asking black folks at the festival what they thought about it. And the overwhelming response uh, was basically, why the hell would we care about someone going on the moon? Um, why isn't that money coming down to Harlem? Um, great question. I obviously love this part. I also want to say, I think this is a really good argument to to add into the um, conspiracy theory community as to why the moon landing was faked and specifically when it was. And um, I think we could really argue it was to detract from the Harlem Cultural Festival. And I think the history of systemic racism would point to that no one can prove me wrong. So <laughs> facts. Um, also, there's obviously that amazing um, spoken poem from that time about like whiteies landed on the moon. It's really good. But yeah, this was absolutely brilliantly done. And I'm so happy for Questlove. Um, he's been doing really amazing shit for a long time. And it's really cool to see him get recognized. Yeah. Well, speaking of great fashion, the next film we're going to talk about is Cruella, which won yes. Best Costume Design. So I am a sucker for a villain redemption arc, mainly because the villains are always these like misunderstood goths. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned how much I love Maleficent too. I was also like a really big fan of Wicked growing up. Um, I think I just relate to misunderstood goths who were just like trying to live and got villainized. And I also just think from like a social standpoint, it's interesting to see like how there's both sides to different stories and um yeah villainized portrayals are often because like we don't know the full story and so I just like find it compelling but anyway Cruella won best costume design which was so incredible um, I actually just watched it a couple days ago and since then I've been wearing what I'm calling Cruella inspired fits um the other day I wore this like see-through chiffon like a snakeskin printed skirt um I felt very powerful and anyway (laughs) enough about me the costume designer's name is Jenny Bevan um who wore a tuxedo that had the slogan naked without us and this was inspired by the costume designers guild local 892 um, which is working to achieve pay equity, which is commensurate with their economic and artistic contribu- contribution to production. Wow, Zoe, that is so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I like also would just like to say that this Cruella, I feel like does way more justice. Like in 101 Dalmatians, Cruella is like straight up evil. And in this one, that's like not the case. Um, so definitely fun. And obviously we love um, Emma Stone. Also, I love when they make fun of the original by being like, <laughs> like her last name is Deville. It, it's spelled just like devil, but it, it's Deville. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, roasted, roasted at original creator. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving right along, um, we're going to talk about Dune. So Dune won Best Visual Effects, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. So basically, Dune swept all the technical categories um, and audio categories, Um, which if you've seen it, the story might feel like it's lacking. Like, it literally covers one third of the first book, if you've read the book. Um, 
because the whole endeavor is to put you inside that world visually, sonically, and just basically in all the ways related to your senses. And taking three hours to do so. <laughs> yeah. No less. Exactly. I personally am glad this picture was up for so many awards because it meant we got to see Zendaya be iconic in incredible outfits yet again. She's literally the best and I love her so much. And also, I know there's a lot of Timothy Chalamet hate. And I do want to say I loved his outfit, though, and I wish I had it. Here's what I'll say about Timothy Chalamet. I'm not going to engage with the discourse. What I find unbelievable about the film, why I couldn't get into the world no matter how hard they tried, is that it's based on the premise that I have to buy into that he's the messiah, and I simply can't allow myself to do that. Yeah. Oh, she agrees. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is working with the plot of of the book, but it's it's rough. It's a weird. It doesn't, it's it weird. doesn't have to be him, though. Right. True. I mean, like any man, though, I would be like big, big question mark. I think we can adapt source material. I think Zendaya should be the messiah. And that's all mm. I'll say. Industry people, if you're listening. <laughs> Incredible. You're welcome. <laughs> um, moving on to best animated feature. Um, that was Encanto. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because it could be argued that Lin-Manuel Miranda is a number one enemy of the pod just because of Damn. his absolute batshit lib nonsense. But that can't detract from the fact that Encanto is one of the most beautiful animations I've ever seen. Color design and all of the animation is just really beautiful and evocative. And like, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, um, I watched it with my family over Christmas, as I mentioned. It's definitely cute. Obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like cringe personified. But the man does have some songwriting talent. True, um, true. I, I didn't like this one as much as I liked some other semi-recent Disney movies I've seen. Like I'm thinking especially of Coco because that one is just fantastic. Um, and also Moana, which Lin-Manuel Miranda also had a significant hand in. So it's definitely like true. it doesn't I mean, those are the only Disney movies I've seen recently, and I guess I've seen them because they were, like, so lauded. So maybe it's not fair to compare them. But it's definitely cute. I will give it that. I will also just give a quick plug for Frozen 2, which is... I the, knew this was coming. The, <laughs> it's the gay Disney movie IMO. It's the best. You, If you ask someone who you perceive to be a woman or non-binary person if they prefer Frozen 1 or Frozen 2, that will be the quickest gauge for you to know whether or not that person is gay. That's all I have to say unless, about it. Unless you're me and I haven't seen it because I've been too busy watching The Bachelor. Yeah, have you seen the first one? I've seen the first one. Okay. If you yeah, haven't, haven't seen, seen it, that's fine. That's a different. That's that. No, like, it's okay. I know it's a different problem I to watch solve. It. But I if, should watch it. Yes. If they've seen it, you'll if be they've able to seen tell. it, that's the litmus test. Um, <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about West Side Story briefly. Um, it's a really classic musical, and I think it, the revamp on this classic was really well done. If you like musicals as a theater kid, I can say it's good. Um, but why I loved it so much is because of Ariana DeBose's performance as Anita, which landed her the Best Actress in a Supporting Role Award. And Ariana DeBose was wore the most iconic red two-piece jumpsuit. It was so incredible. 
And she's the first openly queer woman of color to win an Oscar, which is ridiculous, but is what it is. And then I just thought we could end on a little high note here. <laughs> um, why the gays really won the awards. Um, we love drama, so the slap was amazing. <laughs> Kristen Stewart with her fiance Dylan looking so cute and kissing on the red carpet. Although TBH, I'm not sure that I'm here for the shorts look. I really liked the shorts, actually. I thought it was like kind of a, a cute twist on the suit. I've been very into suits lately. And I was like, you know what? You're rocking it. Love to see some leg. But a, a classic suit, you also can't go wrong with it. So I don't disagree with you there. Yeah. This I mean... Be- Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say this is probably a personal problem. Just like long sleeves with shorts bothers me. <laughs> it feels it feels complicated for. I'm like, for, it's sure. enough for long sleeves, where are your pants? But then, like long pants with like a tank top doesn't bother me. So I, I might be the problem. I don't know. You need it to aesthetically upsets me. I think maybe you need to do some unlearning there, Zoe. <laughs> Sounds like there might be an unearned prejudice against that particular combination. There could be. Niecy Nash and her wife, Jessica Betts, also graced the red carpet with a kiss. Um, Both women looked incredible, and Nash draped in a hot pink gown with a floor-length train and Betts in an all, like a really sharp all-white suit. Oscar co-host Wanda Sykes and her wife, Alex Sykes, also stored the red carpet together, looking just like an iconic power couple. I think they've been married for over 10 years. They're just incredible. Um, yes, as we've talked about, Ariana DeBose, icon. We love her. Everything about her is perfect. By icon, Megan the Stallion came out to spice up an Encanto song, which like was possibly the most random thing that they could do, but I could not have been more happy about it. Um, so you may have seen this clip going around. Like it w- felt really unhinged in real time, but you know, Lady Gaga looking real nice in a glittery tux took the stage alongside Liza Minnelli to present the final award of the evening. Um, And Gaga leaned over to Minnelli at one point and whispered, I got you, um, because Minnelli was, like, struggling with kind of keeping some things track of what she was doing. And she returned the love, saying, I'm so happy to be here, especially with you. I'm your biggest fan. And it was just so gay. And I'm here for it, even though it was awkward in real time. Um, And then again, like, Timothy's outfit... Don't know about him as a person or an actor, TBH, but like loved, loved the look. Hang on. I'm looking it up in real time. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do a live react. Yes. Oh, wait. Is it just like a suit with no shirt? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I like the look. I would like it better if it wasn't on a man, if we had right. like a little cleavage action. Mm, I want um, to wear the look is what I. <laughs> oh, it would look great on you. I just, Definitely. I can't Thank you. support I just, I just can't support a man. Yeah, no, and understood. I just, the look was probably maybe not designed or fashioned by a man. We don't know. Um, That's true. But no, I support, and it's like a glittery blazer. Yes. With the long, okay, I like it. But With not the chain. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I will say the main moment that the gays lost was, A, like anytime Amy Schumer was uh, on camera, true. but- <laughs> Also, I didn't even watch the Oscars, but true. Yes. You could feel just, it when that happened. I yeah. know that to be the truth. Yeah. Um, but she also half-heartedly squeezed in like 
and trans people after she moved on from a comment she was trying to make about like the ales of the world. She like moved on to talking about the next people going to be on stage and then was like, and trans people. Yikes. We we hate to see it, obviously. Um but thus concludes our um, you know, fiery hot takes of the Oscars. <laughs> um if you like these takes um, and you want to support us more, you can um, give us your money on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. You'll get ask- access to a um, queer horror series we have coming down the pipes and um, our Discord, which is super fun. You also can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at season of the bee. Um, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes and give us five stars and you can send us emails if you dare. Seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Okay. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bitch.